Hello and bienvenue. I'm Elise Lavallée, your host at the Silence Between, a Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra podcast. Harry Stephanakis is with us today. He is the composer in residence of the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra and co-curator of the Winnipeg New Music Festival. We will talk composing, why composing, the process of composing, and even have a section of Have You, Would You? So Harry Stephylakis is with us today and uh, we will be talking about him, why he's a composer. We will have a section of have you, would you questions, uh, more questions about the process of composing, how he gets it out there. We'll talk about also interpreters, musicians, if he's happy with what he hears when he uh, hears his music in, in concerts. And we will talk about his role as composer in residence with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra and co-curator for the WNMF Winnipeg New Music Festival. Welcome, Harry. Hello, Elise. It's my pleasure to be here. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about you, uh, where you come from, what brought you here what brought me to Winnipeg or <laughs> yes. to this uh, studio? <laughs> yes. um, well, I, I, I grew up in Montreal. I was uh, raised in a Greek household in an Italian neighborhood in French Canada. So I uh, grew up uh, culturally wow. confused. Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and um, it, that's the, the, the short of it. I uh, spent the first 28 years of my life in, in Montreal, uh, pursued my studies in various fields there, and uh, eventually ended up in New York City. I wanted to explore the the bigger world of uh, composition and of uh, music and that seemed to be the place to be at least in north america and uh, when you were young culturally did you grow up with uh greek music did you absolutely yeah yeah i mean both my parents are from greece uh, although i hadn't been as a child to greece actually i just came back from my first ever trip to greece really which was epic uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I grew up in, uh, as part of the Greek community. We went to the Greek church and uh, Greek. I went to Greek school until I was 18. Um, spoke Greek, listened to the music, danced the traditional dances, played the music. Uh, it was very much a part of my life. How many languages do you speak? I speak English, French, and Greek. Uh, I learned some Spanish and Italian, though I generally can only get by in basic conversational level when I'm in a country that speaks one of those languages. Cool. I wonder if that affects your writing to the languages that, that you learn. Uh, yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, a, a facility for language, tr I think, translate especially to uh, a particular interest in rhythm in the music oh. and vice versa. I think it's a, it's a, a symbiotic kind of influence that um, my lifelong pre preoccupation with music. I mean, I studied, started music when I was four years old translates into a facility for language. The, the following patterns, inflections, uh -huh. uh, rhythmic boundaries, uh, consonant boundaries and phonemes and morphemes, uh, which uh, are, are an essential component of emulating an accent, of emulating yes, the yes, cadence yes. of a language and so on. Yeah, I feel like we often forget about that. You know, we learn words and stuff like that. But being uh, francophone myself, in French, there's actually no inflections. We say attention, is that da da da. But in English, that is I so often not true. put it at the wrong place. <laughs> really, you think so? Well, absolutely attention. not. Hey, I, I grew up in, in Quebec, so of course uh, the French that I learned at first was Quebecois French. Wait, oui, wait. Oui. And then I went the to the best one. <laughs> the, the, 
And then I went to uh, my, my secondary school, uh, Collège Stanislas, is the Canadian chapter of a French school. For, uh, the, the main uh, school is in Paris. Uh, and so I was surrounded by children of uh, dip diplomats <laughs> and politicians okay. and that kind okay. of thing. Uh, and our teachers were mostly from Europe. So uh, I started hearing the European French oh, yeah? accent. And I immediately started to emulating it. Something about it sounded so different and, uh -huh. and more charming to me. Um, uh, and absolutely, there's a difference in, in cadence and inflection and contour, melodic contour. And so okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're more very aware of it. So why compose? What happened? Uh, are, do you play an instrument? Yeah, I, I started with a piano when I was four years old. Oh. Uh, studied classical music. Uh, until my teens, uh, and then uh, as I started in high school or secondary school, I should say, um, I was uh, attracted by metal music, oh, by harder <laughs> music. First, I finally discovered modern pop music, and that led me to rock, and then to hard rock, and alternative and grunge. This was in the 90s, after all. Uh, and uh, then uh, it seemed like it was never enough. It's kind of like a drug. The harder, uh -huh. the more aggressive, oh. the more <laughs> okay. emotionally visceral the music was, the more I gravitated towards it. Uh, and so when I first started hearing Metallica playing on the radio, as they were a lot, especially in the 90s, uh, I went that direction and started hanging out with those kinds of people and decided, forget this classical stuff. Uh -huh. I need that. So I picked up guitar and uh, became an electric guitarist and then did metal music for most of my teenage and okay. early adult life before coming back to classical. And then you thought I have to write my own. It's really in me. It, well, it's uh, yes, that uh, it's also just part of the culture of um, certainly of metal and rock music is you have bands, you make your own music. It's yes, not about yes. being a cover musician and, and playing the classics, so to speak, although that's there is a, a stream uh -huh. of that as well. Uh, and uh, so, if for one thing, it, it seemed like an absolutely natural thing to do that me and my colleagues, my you know, I like, you know dudes we, I was playing music with, uh, would write. And I just happened to be better at it in the sense that I read music. I played oh, Beethoven really? and Bach and whatever. <laughs> okay. So, it was just like the ideas came quickly. Uh, and as it happened, I was one of my first bands. I was maybe 16 or 17 at the time. <clears throat> I was playing a show and uh, an, an older band, uh, this was in Montreal, uh, a slightly more experienced band in the scene uh, came to check us out at some point. Uh, and the main songwriter, guitarist, the frontman of the band seemed to hear something and, and, and he took an interest in me and invited me to write some music with him. So what, what did it sound like back then, what you were writing? What did it sound like? Uh, well, this was early days. <laughs> yes. uh, and uh, by that point, I was still very much into classic metal, thrash metal especially. So it was a, lo a lot of um, influences from Metallica, Megadeth, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Pantera, the, the kind of bands that were still a so big were... deal, especially in the 90s. There was no influence at the time from all your rich background of different sounds and Greek and all this. It was just like, I'm going to write in that style. <laughs> That's what came out because that's okay. the music I was listening to the yes. most. But, uh, you know, I was also into uh, the neoclassical metal. I don't know if you're familiar with that <laughs> thing, but uh, Swedish guitarist Ingve uh, Malmsteen is okay. the, the biggest, uh, maybe the best known version of that. Uh, and his whole thing is he's like the Vivaldi of electric guitar. Mm -hmm. That's how he presents mm -hmm. himself or the Paganini of the electric guitar. And so there's lots of sweeping arpeggios and diminished patterns and so on. Uh, so that was part of the language and that keyed into very naturally to me again to, into my classical and Baroque 
training. So, and then when did you think, oh, I should go study <laughs> composition? I very meticulously did not want to study composition or ah. music theory or oh, okay. anything hmm, for why? good why? many years while I was doing metal because, and this is something that comes up a lot now that I'm a college professor in, in music, that as youth, we have a tendency, especially strong-minded youth and opinionated youth like myself, um, have this uh, vision of music theory and, co and and formal composition training as somehow stifling cr creativity, uh -huh, yeah. that it's prescriptive, that it tells yeah, us yeah, what yeah. we must do. Uh -huh. And I, since I didn't know anything, I read music, I played the music, but yeah. I never thought about it besides basic scales. Um, and uh, so I, I was very adamant with myself that I wanted to develop my own compositional method, my own language, my own way of hearing things and of doing things. And it was going well, it seemed. Okay. I was <laughs> writing music that I was really taken with. Like I was very proud of the stuff that uh, myself and my songwriting partner were creating. Uh, and so it didn't seem to be a, a problem until maybe around 23 or 24 years old. And I've been doing this for a while. And I was getting into more and more complex music, particularly progressive metal, uh, which is something that we're bringing to WNMF next week, um, which is so much more advanced than the mainstream metal uh -huh. uh, that I, I felt like I was running out of tools oh, okay. with which to effectively do what I would want, heard in my head. Uh, and so I decided, I'll take a break, I'll go study music for a little bit in college, mm. Banya College of Montreal at first, uh, to improve my skills. As a guitarist, I'd study uh -huh. some classical guitar. As a composer, I'd study theory and composition, and so on. And I was immediately taken with it. It was awesome. It was just <laughs> mind-blowing, like, oh, that's how it works. <laughs> okay. Finding all these patterns and common elements between these incredible composers that I'd always I both idolized, but also taken as a natural part of my life. Now I understood them at a deeper level. And I said, that's it. I disbanded my main band at the time, Faces of Horizon, and uh, decided I'd pursue composition where I get to just write whatever I want. And these <laughs> amazing musicians who've been doing it their entire lives execute it at such a high level. Um, and so I went to McGill University, and from there it was... Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, so you said you were very drawn to, you said the harder the music and the more, and so has that changed? Do you see nope. like with no, nope. <laughs> with time you haven't like gone a little bit, no. No, if, if I don't get a gut punch with anything I'm listening to, I immediately key out. Okay. I immediately zone out. Um, for, for one thing, I... When I listen for, I listen to a lot of music, of yeah. course, and I go to concerts all the time. It's an important part of being a, a, a member of this community, a, a good mu musical citizen. Um, but when I listen for pleasure, when I just put the headphones in, if I'm mm -hmm. not listening to a podcast, I'm listening to progressive metal for uh -huh. the most part, and sometimes other genres of extreme metal, death metal, black metal, and so on. Uh, it's still something about that gut punch. And when I put on classical music to uh, for pleasure again. It's still the rite of spring or... Uh -huh. uh, so the gut punch, though, comes with kind of the intensity and the chord and the loudness, right? Or can it be something, hmm. uh, you know, more delicate, but it just like... At the risk of go going off track here, loudness uh, is not a, an objective physical thing. It's, a, it's entirely 
perceived by our brains. Um, there's entire elements of psychoacoustics and, and audio engineering that focuses on the treatment of loudness and how to key into it without specific volume, uh, air molecules moving through the air. So in some sense, yes, <laughs> okay. loudness in the sense that things are big, uh -huh. powerful, wait, wait, wait. Uh, the most uh, emotionally uh, powerful, Charged? the most okay. uh, lyrical, the most sensitive, the just the most. I guess I can say <laughs> I'm a maximalist. <laughs> I want the most of everything. <laughs> yeah, and I do find uh, that the music that I know of you, for me, is very wide, very large landscape, very imposing. Although there are moments uh, I was listening to... Uh, brittle um brittle fracture brittle fracture and i thought oh i hear a little bit of something sensitive a little bit melancholy here coming coming through this but i recognize i, I want to say the width it's like rah it, nice. i see an image right away i see maybe a movie and that takes me to my have you would you <laughs> segment oh okay we're already there cool. <laughs> if you're if you're ready Have you written movie music? Would you write to an image? Uh, I should say I absolutely love film music. It's one of my favorite genres of music uh, and have studied it for a long time on my own yeah. uh, in, in kind of parallel to my concert music studies. Uh, the history of film music, the, the, the techniques of it. Uh, couple of my favorite composers include John Williams and Hans Zimmer, uh, uh -huh. who are actually very different stylistically <laughs> and technique-wise as far as film music uh, composers go. Um, and, and so when I, and I've taken classes uh, in at various levels of my studies on, on the subject. Uh, when I went to New York, so I... So have you, would you? <laughs> well, do I get to just talk here? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, I, I, I ended up taking a, a course in, a master's course in film scoring at NYU uh, in, okay. in New York. And so I did projects, small projects, okay. short films, that kind of thing. Uh, that being said, from that, that experience, I learned that uh, my music isn't well suited for films. Although one of the most common comments I get from audience yeah. members who hear my music is, you should I write for film music. Film. You write for film. I see a film. I, I see, see something a film. like that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, yes, because all you're listening to is my music and its job is to evoke some kind of big dramatic yeah. line or something. Yes. But it also draws way too much attention to itself. Uh, I see. I find it very hard to sneak under <laughs> an image, which is the main thing with film. So I don't know if I could do it. If somebody really wanted me to, I'll, I'd consider Maybe it. with some amazing actors that really can hold the screen. Only if they're absolutely quiet and all we do is hear my music. <laughs> a quiet, yeah, silent a quiet movie. quiet place too. What about... I'm, I'm waiting for John Krasinski. You know? <laughs> a jingle. Would you have you? Um, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of commercial music as oh, well. Okay. Uh, I, I've done one uh, ad spot. Thing, uh, with my longtime collaborator Adam Petrukowski, uh, but not, not my thing. Okay. Uh, have you written for a loved one who after a breakup or like uh, some type of love relationship and it all came pouring out? <laughs> uh, 
Well, I, I'm a pretty stoic person generally in, in real life, IRL. Uh, so all of my emotion goes into the music, I suppose, in some way. For instance, after a, one particularly big breakup, uh, I wrote a piece called Of Beauty of, Brut- of Brutality. Um, and it was a very violent piece and involved eight-string electric guitar and drum sets. <laughs> okay. So yes, but not okay. in the way you probably mean. <laughs> okay. Um, what about God? Have I'm you written? Hardcore atheist. Okay, there we go. So that's not any inspiration. Uh, again, in terms of the uh, uh, maybe uh, anger or uh, criticism thereof. Ah, we oui, we oui, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, we always see like or in movies like burning your music. You don't like what you wrote. Did you chuck your music? Mm. Do you edit a lot? Do you? Uh, yeah, those are different things. I, I edit a lot. Yeah, for sure. Yes. I, re- I revise and improve <laughs> yes. marginally with each performance of a piece. Uh, I've removed some several pieces from my catalog. As you go along, you just look back and like, well, that piece doesn't represent me. It's not good enough anymore. Uh, but for the most part, it's not the burning of the <laughs> house or the build, the warehouse or whatever. I think Brahms did something like that, right? <laughs> I think he burned, actually burned the manuscripts for a bunch of his stuff. Yes. Not not my style either. <laughs> um, I like to archive things. I have all the old stuff oh, hidden, really? but nobody will see it. Oh, okay. I see. It's safe. <laughs> it's safe in there. Uh, have you ever, like, you sit down, you hear something, you're like, oh, I wish I wrote that. My God, yes. Oh, yes. That's, that's the why I continue okay. to compose is, <laughs> and why I started, in a sense, to, I guess this loops us back to our previous conversation, I want to hear more of the music I love. Yeah. And there's so little of it, it mm-hmm. seems, that I, I, somebody has to do it, so I, I do it in my way, and it ends up being mine because I'm not that good at emulating. <laughs> I see. Have you ever conducted? Would you... A little bit. I've conducted maybe three concerts uh, in Montreal and New York. Um, Wow. And uh, I've often had to step in in rehearsals. I don't like doing it. Well, you conducted your music. Yeah, only my music. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I don't like doing it, and now I adamantly refuse, and I make sure it's in my contracts when I'm engaged. Ah, okay. I'm not a performer anymore, and I... Now make it clear, and I'm confident to be okay. able to say, no, that's not what I do. I, I did my work all uh, Now, is there like a some kind of a space sometimes in between what you write, which I imagine is in your head, and then what you hear when you come to the first rehearsal of the orchestra? Are you like, whoa, or I don't like how this conductor does it, or this violinist in... A quartet. It should be noted, no composer should ever show up to a first rehearsal. <laughs> okay. Okay, dress rehearsal. Oh, that's a hard and fast okay. rule. But yeah, second <laughs> rehearsal, third rehearsal, for sure. Um, I, there's always surprises. Uh, that, but, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. And a major aspect of that is developing toolkits to be able to realistically uh, predict what will happen with real musicians playing the music in a concert hall. So for the most part, it seems the older I get, the more, pres- more the more accurate the performance is to what I'd imagined, mainly because I imagine more accurately now. But there's always a surprise, and usually it's good stuff or just, huh, that's different. Cool, I like it. Okay. Uh, once in a while, it's uh, an atrocity uh, in the writing, something that just really doesn't work. There was a piece... Yeah, we did with the Winnipeg Symphony last year, uh, Holocene Extinction, that Carrie uh, Carrie Lynn Wilson uh, conducted. And there were exactly three measures in that piece, 
it's a 20 minute piece it was maybe four seconds of music six seconds of music that were terrible and we spent so much time in rehearsal trying to fix it and Carrie Lynn and I tried to come up with a solution and nothing worked and we're like all right whatever just play it and I'll hate those three measures and after I rewrote them after the fact (laughs) okay okay so what is your goal really when you write and you want people to listen you want a goal of sharing of beauty of you're just a thrill my goal huh every time i'm asked something like that i think i answer differently uh my goal is for myself to have to be able to uh, listen to it and to be transported away from daily life from the concerns uh-huh. uh, and uh, yeah, I guess the concerns of daily life, the stuff we're constantly worrying about and thinking about, the pressures, the schedules, the responsibilities, and w- besides myself, not be able to th- even think about those things because I'm so in the moment with what I'm hearing. That's what I get out of the music that I love, and that's what I want to do when I create music. So that's the experience I want to create for myself. And hopefully for at least a fraction of the listeners. Bring who hear the, it. the listen a fraction. It's always going to be a fraction. Okay. And nobody why? loves everything. Apparently there are people who don't like Beethoven. <laughs> Anathema to me, but go figure. <laughs> so this is a little bit difficult. Sometimes I wonder if there's a special way to listen, even at a concert or to live music. Um, mm. a special way to listen to contemporary music in our expectations or what we're gonna mm. you know, for an audience. Well, how do you listen? Huh. Well, thank you for asking me a question. <laughs> I go, whoa, you can still. Um, yeah, how do I listen? I definitely listen for something that touches me. And I, for many years, I didn't like things that were hard or difficult, even in music. I preferred things that were... Hard or difficult in what sense? Uh, that would take me in places of... Yeah, like pain or, oh. you know, things like that. Or if the music is very tense mm-hmm. also. So I preferred things that took me in beautiful mm-hmm. <laughs> places. And I've come to uh, enjoy more and understand, I think, also, you know, the hmm. the harder parts. The okay. More, yeah. All right. Is there a way to listen? I mean, there are... It's possible, I guess, to, to in active listening have listening strategies to, for instance, pay particular attention. When you're listening to a symphony or a piano sonata or something, if you know a little bit about classical form, you know that the main ideas of the first movement are right at the beginning. The very first thing you hear is the most important thing because the composer is going to keep using that in some way or another throughout the piece. Uh, So somebody who's even a little bit informed about that might listen more actively at that beginning and then try to track the development of that motive, that (laughs) idea, that theme, whatever, throughout the 40-minute symphony or whatever it is. Uh, For myself, uh, yes, active listening is a thing. You know, when I'm listening to pieces, for instance, for potential programming in something, whether it's Uh with the the WSO or with my new music collective or judging a competition, a composition competition or something, I tend to do the needle drop test. I just kind of drop the playback uh, head at random points throughout a track Uh uh, and test it for, does it sound compelling at any given moment? Something about it that catches me, whatever it is, some beautiful sonority, uh, uh, something tense and interesting, something visceral, a cool groove, something. 
And if it does pass that test, then I'll spend more time listening from beginning to end as a full experience. As a private listener, when I'm in a concert or, or just listening to music on my own, it's all about turning off the brain and whatever happens, happens. Uh-huh. We're all professional listeners. We've been doing it <laughs> since we were born, literally, uh, probably a little bit before that. Uh, so I, I trust that our however many years of instincts and experience will do the work for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this takes me to the process of writing uh, for you. Mm-hmm. How can you explain to us how it comes? What is the seed or is there an idea, a theme, a few notes? Mm-hmm. Is it a image? Is it? Uh, it's a complicated question and maybe more complicated than it seems because it's a, it's all very nebulous. This is my life, right? From morning to night and usually also while sleeping, I'm in some way engaged <laughs> in composing. Uh, so at what point am I on the clock, so to speak? At what point is it an active act of composition? Um, uh, for instance, I wake up in the morning and uh, immediately feed my cat and then go on a walk. I get my coffee at the local bodega. Uh, I'm up in Upper Manhattan where there's a lot of parks and I get my coffee and just walk around the park and uh, chain smoke and let thoughts come to me as they do. Uh, and usually those thoughts are somehow musically related. And I let uh-huh. the peripatetic method, which Brahms was also fond of, uh, do the work. If I'm currently actively working on a piece, then things are being worked out during that walk. If I'm not, if I'm in between commissions, uh, uh, snippets of existing pieces or of other people's music just kind of pass through my head and I key into it. So oh, wait, yeah, so during your walk, you see something, you're like, oh yeah, ta-ta-ta, and I'll write it, some kind of like atmosphere. A- a- atmosphere, often I'm of listening like... to a podcast or, or, or watching a video about film or uh, film analysis or some such, uh, and something strikes my fancy, uh, some formal trick, an editing trick, uh, something, and I think... And that inspires a musical thought, like, oh, what if I did this in musical terms? Uh, and so whenever some kind of idea hits, then I'll either sing it to myself or I'll take a note on my phone or, or something like that, or pull out my little keyboard on my phone so I could figure out what the pitches are, because I don't have absolute pitch. Uh, and then I get home and I sit down and start doing the work. I sit at the piano and... But is that mostly sort of a, a little melody or motive? Uh, often, yes. Sometimes okay. it's a groove. I definitely ah. have voice memos on my phone. I remember one in Greece. I was in uh, in Crete, uh, just off the ferry, and something hit me, and I kept kind of beatboxing a particular groove. Uh, <laughs> I was traveling with a friend. I was like, what are you doing? One second, and I pulled up the voice memo and recorded myself beatboxing into it and thinking, that'd make a great orchestra riff. <laughs> But that's work that would have to be done later, listening back to that. Okay, so then once you've done your walk, you get back to your place with a right. few things there to work on. And sure. yeah, you uh, already know what instrument or it goes in a piece you're writing or... Uh, for the m- most part, I'm uh, I'm writing for a particular orchestra or ensemble. So the music that I'm writing is always keyed for that combination of instruments. It, it It's not in the abstract 
it's always imagining those players, imagining those exact instruments in a room. What does it sound like? What does it feel like to hear those air molecules moving, to see that arm moving in that particular way? Um, how does it interact between them? What are we as an audience seeing as the dynamics on stage? Like, I think of it as a band, as a theater thing, in a, oh, in a sense. Oh, cool. It um, does sound that way, I feel. There's, it, yeah. There's a choreography to it, Wait, even though I don't do, like, it. an explicit yeah, yeah. I, I don't have people getting up and walking left to right on the stage or something like that. It's just really just music. But the way that the ensemble works with each other, the chamber dynamics, if you will, uh, are something that are an important part of it and always worked into the like the core of the musical materials. Uh, sometimes I an idea just hits me while watching a movie or binge watching something on Netflix um, and it's not related to a particular piece. Let's say I'm in between pieces. I immediately run to the piano or to the guitar, figure out what that idea yeah. is, and I put it in my sketchbooks and I have compiled like a full uh, library shelf of sketchbooks that are dated time what oh, city i'm in okay. what building i'm in what Ooh. i was just watching or listening to you just selfie with it i don't do <laughs> that's way too much documentation i think uh but th because i go back to ideas regularly and especially when i'm looking okay. for like oh i have this awesome idea for this piece and this other awesome idea and they don't really connect yet there's something else missing and i'll go back through my books and find, yeah, that's the thing. That's the missing link. Um, and so often when I'm structuring even pieces formally, I'm referring to book number from my sketchbooks oh, and okay. page number in that oh. book. Um, I Just yesterday, last night at 2 a.m., I finished a piece for the Cowan Chikiliti guitar duo. And one of the ideas was from 15 years ago, from when I was still writing metal music. There was oh. a, an idea I had never used then. And it was just a perfect thing to underpin my version of the Beethoven Symphony Number no. 7 second movement theme, which I'm using in this piece, but with my kind of metal accompaniment thing going under it. <laughs> so yeah, 15 year idea, made it Very into a piece cool. last night. So, you know, with this idea of always wanting to break barriers, you know, with harmony, with sounds and with ideas that I feel is really uh, a common uh, quest in, in the arts. Mm -hmm. um, are there instruments that you don't write for that you would not write for you interested mm. or not in uh, some years ago we did a paper concerto where it was just about uh tearing paper and what well, there were an orc there was an orchestra but the solos were all bits of papers being uh either crumpled or cut or s different things like that uh is that something to you that's a little nah, or would you be willing to you know explore Things like that. Or we have ice instrument actually at the... Yeah, but I, I didn't write that. Yeah. Right? That's somebody <laughs> who does that because yes. he really believes in that. And that's something yes. that... Yes. That's yes. Yes. Uh, you're referring to stuff like uh, my friend Andy Akiho is well known for his ping pong concerto, for okay. instance. I don't know if you know that piece. Um, it, it seems you're taking for granted that the purpose of the artist is to innovate. <laughs> There's a difference between innovating okay. and intending to innovate and i absolutely mm. do not i i okay. have no interest in that i okay. don't think that I, it's certainly the case that for certain com many composers and artists that might be a motivation for me it's couldn't be farther from my field of interest uh -huh. i'm i'm a bulldog in a china shop doing what a bull in a china <laughs> shop doing what i want i follow my own passions and interests if i happen to break some stuff and innovate along the way then great somebody else can decide that i've done that yeah, uh, yeah but yeah. it's not my purpose but um sorry but not even with things like harmony and things like that or i 
you know, harmony is the most personal possible element, a, a parameter oh. of composition. Uh, and if I don't love it, then I don't write it. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see uh, interesting techniques being used, especially spectralism. I thought uh, the, the, many of the composers, Claude Vivier especially, did some really beautiful things uh, with harmony. Uh, if I hear something that sounds great, I use it, and then I'll, I'll inevitably it'll mutate in some way okay. because I don't do it quite the same way, and maybe something new comes out. Uh, mm -hmm. But again, I'm just using things that sound awesome to me in the moment. I see. And tearing a paper doesn't sound awesome to me. So no, I... <laughs> I wouldn't okay. do that. I love cl classical instruments. And I yes, love yes. real instruments. The stuff I've got. I love guitar. I love yes. cello. I love violin and piano. And that's what I write for. <laughs> Great. Okay. So let's come to your role now at the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra Composer in Residence. And uh, we have the upcoming now 2019 Winnipeg New Music Festival that you are the co-curator uh, for. So how, how would you define uh, those roles? Uh, composer in residence uh, is is really my, my main thing. Composer in residence of the WSO. Uh, the obvious thing is I get to write music for the band, <laughs> for our band. Um, uh, I love orchestral music. Really, really love it. Uh, it. It's my favorite instrument. I often like to ah. say. Um, and uh, so it's a privilege to to get to write regularly for the orchestra. I mean, you guys have performed. All, it's all my third year and. We've had quite a few of my pieces performed yeah, already, yeah. and it's been an incredible learning experience and always super satisfying. Uh, so there's that element to it, uh, working out projects well ahead. Um, Daniel and I are already planning ahead several seasons. Um, then there's uh, the curatorial aspect, even outside of WNMF, is uh, being an advocate for contemporary music and for other composers and for treating music as a living art and not a museum art. Um, so... Sorry, what do you mean? A living art and not a museum art? When was the last time you talked to Beethoven? <laughs> okay. He's long dead. We're just looking at the classics, right? Okay. In general, in the orchestral yeah, world. Yeah. Uh, and there's very little contemporary programming that's done. Uh, uh, yeah. And so part of my ma mandate within this role is to find works that can be fit in with our great classical and romantic and uh, early modernist repertoire that tends to be performed. Uh, but that's by living composers and certainly Canadian composers. So remaining abreast of the scene and the developments and who, who's doing what uh, and finding those right works that can fit into programs. Uh, and, of course, that's writ large in WNMF in the, in the Winnipeg New Music Festival where it's all that. It's all contemporary music and it's all uh, creating these programs out of works by living composers or mostly living composers. Um, then there's other aspects to it. There's uh, education, outreach, community mm -hmm. engagement, sistema, uh, those kinds of things. So, for instance, uh, Brent Johnson uh, of the WSO and I uh, run a composition workshop thing with uh, elementary schools mm -hmm. every, every year where we uh, team up with three elementary schools and we go and do improvisation workshops and composition workshops and do some listening and how do we evoke certain emotions with our sounds with you know playing vibraphones or xylophones or whatever um, and then I collect those ideas of what the kids come up with and I write an orchestra piece, yes, a short orchestra I've piece for, that, that yes. the WSO plays. Well you've played some yes, of them yes. um, and, and the 
kids all come. We have the hall, you know, 2,300-seat hall, uh, full of children who get to hear... <laughs> They co-composed yes, yes. an orchestral piece played by a professional orchestra, and that's pretty awesome. Uh, so those are some of my main roles in that. And then there's other administrative stuff that it's less fun to talk about <laughs> on the podcast. But I want to come back to the programming. How important is it to you? Where would you rank this uh, <laughs> part that it has to be accessible? You know, oh, we need to do these concerts. What's accessible? Will the people come if, you know... The music is mm -hmm. somewhat familiar. Would you say accessible sometimes means there's something familiar about it? Or is that in your... It's something, of course, I can't say that I'm not conscious of, uh -huh. of that mentality. Uh, the benefit of working with an organization like this is that I'm not working alone. I, the curation process is really the artistic planning is between myself, the music director, now Daniel Reiskin, uh, before with Alexander Mikhailovich, and uh, J.F. Fanouf, uh, our VP of Artistic Operations. So having three people with very complementary, very different but complementary uh, views on music, on aesthetics, on on uh, uh, mission. Um, so we balance each other out. And so I can leave worries about accessibility to okay. somebody else okay. who might be more inclined to think that way naturally. Okay. For myself, I want, again, to feel some kind of emotional response, to feel that something is awesome. I'd love for more people to hear this. Uh -huh. That's my job. I see. Yeah. And hopefully others will agree with me and it ends up on the program. And a lot <laughs> of it does. Um, and what about the musicians i feel like as a musician i mean when i get my music for nmf um usually it comes before the sound clips so i look at it and it looks hard a lot of it has a lot of notes and looks harder and looks hard to play and yeah. hard and hard. Right. yes and then i'm like ah you know how am i gonna get you gotta amp yourself up to even start on it of, yeah. uh, you know when you play mozart you can lift your head from the stand for like many many seconds and look at your colleagues but right. during nmf you're usually counting or trying to figure out rhythms or doing something complex why uh, can you raise your head during a mozart piece why can you yeah Because you know what's going to come. It's going to be D's for four bars if you play viola. <laughs> right. And so, because you know the pieces. Oh, yes, Because you've course. played them hundreds of times and you've heard them yes, hundreds of yes, times. Yes. By definition, with a world premiere, let's say, you cannot have heard it before because it's literally never been played before. So, of course, yeah, of course. The incredible challenges involved in that. Um, uh, difficulty. I mean, what's the core of your question? What are you asking? The core of my question is... Uh, Do you have to deal with musicians who are not happy with how you wrote? It's too hard. It's too, I can't get it. Or sometimes the hmm. complexity of rhythms and, and so on. Is that something that um, is also part of your... your? You're asking me now as a composer, not as a curator. As a composer. As a composer, yeah. Uh, my music is devilishly hard, but also uh, deceptively hard. And that's a problem that I've always had to deal with that... when. I don't know, you could tell me otherwise. Maybe it's just that musicians haven't admitted it to me, but uh, my parts or scores tend to look pretty traditional and reasonable. I yes, think, I agree. On I agree. First glance. Absolutely. And inevitably, well, I've, it's never been a situation that it's not the case. Uh, once you start playing it, you realize this is not easy, uh, particularly in terms of the way the moving parts, the various yes. instruments interlock, and whether it's a chamber piece or orchestral piece, how they come together. Um, And certainly rhythmic aspects, 
particularly because it's groove-based music. Again, it's, I think, very much like a metalhead uh-huh. and a metal songwriter. So it's, if something's out of place, it's kind of like Bach's harmony. Mm-hmm. If a note is off or out of tune, mm-hmm. we all know it. Mm-hmm. because it's a sound world we're so familiar with. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to a groove, a 4-4 four, four groove or whatever, a rock groove or some version of that, if some rhythm is off or the players aren't quite synchronized, mm-hmm. it's very obvious and mm-hmm. it sounds like a mistake. So my music tends to sound a high, require a high, higher degree of precision maybe than some contemporary styles where the whole point is a certain amount of chaos? Or Absolutely. M- okay, all right. I'm not <laughs> okay, speaking so out of I turn played here. a string quartet of yours. Um, which one was it? Number two? Number in, two, in yeah, Flames? in Flames. Yeah, yeah. I played that in the first movement. You know, I looked at it and I worked my partner, mm-hmm. and when we got together, I was just like, wow, we just don't understand this middle part. Right. That was exactly that, like some kind of groovy thing. And of course, we're trying to just count, you know, one, two, three, one, two, uh, da, 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 all this. Then we played more and more. It's like, oh, actually, it does make sense. Because <laughs> at first you think it's just kind of like, oh, and then you hear that there's something under there that wants to come to life. Right. Some kind of. It always makes sense. Rhythm. I assure you. And then <laughs> it's very scary, though. It's pretty complex. I have right. to say yeah. you're, you're like, oh, you know try to fit in and make it sound right. easy and come through right so yeah I mean, the the best remedy for that is being able to hear a piece in advance of course and, and feel what the groove is meant to be like and then you don't have to count i think <laughs> i mean even with the, like the animals as leader stuff that i that i arranged their music is extremely in that direction it's a similar kind of uh-huh. rhythmic complexity and it's really really hard to count out the patterns but you listen to it enough and you realize that you could watch them play other, you know, video recordings of them on, on YouTube performing. And they're just like bobbing their heads along to quarter notes. <laughs> and the music's nothing like that. It's really like micro rhythms. Yeah. But they're feeling the, the macro groove. And the uh-huh. stuff in between is a feel thing. And <laughs> ideally, that's, that's why I like working with the same ensemble or orchestra a lot. Because they get a feeling for how my music is meant to feel. Uh-huh. And then it becomes more of a... a yeah, a natural thing rather than counting things out and trying yes, to yes. fit into the pocket. Absolutely. Uh, well, let's get to the WNMF coming up. Um, you must be excited about uh, animals as leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are doing a full concert on their own and then they're playing with the WSO. And what is your part in that that work? that they're playing with the WSO? Uh, we, I, I had reached out to Animals as Leaders after speaking with Daniel. I know I know he was uh, on the podcast uh, on the previous episode uh, talking a little bit about his own involvement in that um, uh, and about my approaching him with the idea in the first place. Uh, he was super on board, so I got the go-ahead to, to talk to them about doing something for WNMF. And at first, it wasn't the idea necessarily of doing something with orchestra. It was just bringing them as yeah. a chamber ensemble, as a chamber trio. Um, and then uh, Daniel was the one that said, well, I mean, if they're going to come, let's do something <laughs> with orchestra. Like, absolutely <laughs> awesome. Because when I went to New York to do my do- doctoral degree in composition, one of my my main goal was when I get to my dissertation, what I really want to do is write a piece for metal band, like progressive metal band. Oh, yeah. And orchestra. Okay. That would be the dream. Okay. This was in 2011. <laughs> so now in 2018, we I ended up with literally an offer to do exactly that. So I talked to Tulsan and Javier and Matt and said, hey, guys, how would you feel about some bands have done this in the 
past. Metallica is perhaps the best known that they released an entire album um, of them playing with an orchestra with arrangements by the great Michael Kamen, like really awesome project. Um, but nothing quite this complex, this this mm. style of progressive metal uh, going with orchestra. Uh, and they jumped on it right away. They're like, are you kidding me? We, we get an orchestra? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. I said, cool. I know the hell out of your music and of progressive metal, and, I, and I'm pretty damn good at orchestra now. I, I get this <laughs> instrument. I can make it work, I think. It'll be okay. a challenge, but I can make it work. And there we go. I, I took three of their pieces uh, from their discography that I thought would work together as a unit and, mm -hmm. and designed a suite around it. Sort of a concerto, but mm -hmm. we're calling it a suite. Um and so I w I'm treating each of these as three movements of this concerto uh, and kind of composed kind of ligaments and connections in between and around them and bring back themes from one of the movements and another and so on. So it's it was a collaborative process. I'd send them materials to check out and inevitably the response was, oh man, this sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah keep going. <laughs> like there was <laughs> never any criticism. So it was really me and my and my uh, partner, Adam Petrukowski, was helping me work on the transcriptions like just writing down the music to begin with oh, was yeah, a real yeah. challenge um so yeah that's uh that's where we're at that's very exciting i'm looking forward to that um something else about wnmf that you want to uh, that you're excited about mm. about hearing this year well uh, that i'm excited about here well one of the benefits of being in my position is i've heard all the stuff before oh, that's yes, why it's yes. on the festival yes. um so I really am, am looking forward to hearing some of the, the new stuff. Uh, for instance, uh, Vivian Fung's piece, yeah. uh, Canadian-American composer, uh, that we commissioned for this festival. That's something I've only heard a mock-up of, uh -huh. but, mm -hmm. you know, this is going to be the world premiere, so I haven't heard it before. Um, Roomful of Teeth is always an absolute delight mm -hmm. to hear perform. I've heard... Mm -hmm. I've, Worked with them, I've uh, heard them perform live many times over the years. Uh, Caroline Shaw's Partita is one of my favorite pieces. It's one of my, I have a playlist on my phone that oh, yeah. I regularly listen to that piece. Uh, and they're going to be doing a world premiere also of uh, Andrew Balfour, local Winnipeg composer, uh, who wrote a piece for them. And of my own, which I'm really excited uh. to hear. <laughs> Uh, because there's no computer mock-up that could emulate what A Roomful of Teeth does. Uh -huh. And if you don't know the group, please, please look them up, <laughs> whoever's <laughs> listening to this. Uh, but, yeah, there's no way a computer could emulate what they do. So that's they something I really love. They do a lot of here. effects, voice effects. Yeah, I, that can be a bit deceptive, uh -huh. a, a way to frame it, because... When we think of contemporary music, we can sometimes think of uh, extended techniques, mm -hmm. like just making mm -hmm. noises. Mm -hmm. That's not what it is. What it is is that they... Every year they have a residency at Mass Mocha, the, the Museum of Modern Art in, in Massachusetts, um, where they bring a specialist in a vocal style from somewhere in the world. Uh -huh. Tuvan throat singing, Inuit throat singing, uh, Italian, uh, Sardinian uh, vocal tradition, uh, metal vocalist yeah. as a born, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yodeling. Um, all of these, so they bring somebody for a couple of weeks and they train with that person in that style. And the point isn't for them to appropriate that style and just make a gesture at it. They really just want to find new ways of uh -huh, using their awesome classically trained voices yeah. in different modes. And at the same time, they bring in a batch of composers every year, people whose music they like, to hang around with them as they're doing going uh -huh. through this process mm -hmm. and really hear the development of this. And they commission these composers. And if they happen to be inspired by something they've heard, to include it in some way, in their own way, in their own music. 
if they so feel like it. Uh, and so I did that. I went to Mass Mocha with them uh, this last summer. And uh, you end up with certain things that just don't translate. These particular uses of timbre, of resonance, of uh, vowel shifts. Um, yeah, there's effects, I guess. We Very cool. Yeah. So to wrap up about WNMF, oh. uh, there are pre-concert talk and post-concert questions. And you're there all the time, basically. I'm there all the time. Right, 24-7, yeah. starting... On Friday, well, eight a.m. to two a.m. But yeah, something like that. <laughs> and we can find you. I mean, there's lots of place to um, exchange and ask questions, right? I guess this is the. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, for one thing, yeah. there, there's for sure the audience Q and A after every concert. Yeah. Uh, so that's a great opportunity to talk to the the artists of that evening. Um, but also just hang around, hang around the hall before, after, during intermission. The artists, the composers, they're all just walking around and having a drink, and they just want to chill yes <laughs> so feel free to go up to talk to people and, and you know if you feel so inclined <laughs> great well thank you very much harry stephalakis uh, for this uh wonderful interview well thank you elise it's been fun looking forward I to it's been fun for you the, yes <laughs> for the new music festival 2019 thank you for tuning in i'm elise lavallee and this is the silence between a past bedtime studio production Join us again for more Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra podcasts. Has, has